And as you're finding your way back to your seats, please pray with me for the reading and the preaching of God's word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you acknowledging, Lord, that we've listened to so many other voices this week. We've heard so many other gospels, and Lord, we want to come and hear the true gospel today. Lord, we pray that you speak to us, and as you speak, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty and the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and all the meditations of our hearts here together will be pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've already said Happy New Year. We wish happiness to one another in this new year. And I think that's a very American thing to do for us because we are told from a young age, right? We are told we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among there are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is our God-given right to be happy, right? That's what our country, our nation is built on that idea. And so we do it, right? We pursue happiness. This is what we're doing all the time when we, when we ch- make a million choices every year. And as we come to this new year, we're thinking, what can I do to bring happiness to me in this new year? And we build our lives around happiness. We choose our schools and we choose our friends and our spouses and our careers because we want them to make us happy. And when they don't make us happy, what do we do? We reach for the remote control. We reach for our phones. We um, reach for Priceline. We start checking on airplane tickets. Where can I go to get out of this place? Because this place is not making me happy. Maybe I can take a vacation and that will make me happy. We reach for Amazon, for eBay. If I can buy something, then that will make me happy. And when that doesn't work, when we do all these things to try to externally bring happiness to ourselves, what do we do? We, We turn internally. We say, maybe I'm just not doing something right. And so we look at TED Talks. How do I discover happiness? And we read the internet when we're laying in bed at night, and we say, how can I find happiness? What do I need to do? And so we read the articles, and we tidy up, and we simplify, and we downsize, and we try to be present, and we do all the things that they tell us to do because we want to be happy, and it's our God-given right to be happy. And then maybe at the end of all that, you think, wait, what if I'm not even supposed to be happy? What if this is just the life that I'm supposed to live? And so we, we settle for whatever we have, and we say, maybe I don't even want to pursue happiness. But I think we need to wait a minute and ask, our, ask this question. Does God really want us to be happy? Does God really want us to be happy? Did God give us the inalienable right to pursue our own happiness? Well, if you're expecting me to say, no, he didn't, then you'd be wrong today. In fact, I believe that God does want us to be happy. And it's because of this. It's because I believe that we serve a happy God. Now, I'm going to get into the text and show you what I mean by this. It may not look like what, what you expect, but I believe that God does want us to be happy. 
because I believe that God is a happy God. So today we're going to look at Psalm 32 to teach us about happiness. And it's going to tell us a few things. If you're a note taker, this psalm is going to show us three things. It's going to show us, one, that God wants us to be happy. Two, it's going to show us why we aren't happy. And three, how to be happy. So please give your attention. If you're like me, wondering how to find happiness, give your attention to God's word from Psalm 32. This is a psalm of David. This is God's word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. I'm going to read that again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So point number one, God wants us to be happy. Does that sound weird to you? It sounds a little weird to me. Is it true that God wants us to be happy? A lot of times in Christian circles, you'll hear Christians, I've even said this myself, God doesn't promise you to be happy. God doesn't guarantee you to be happy. And it's true that the invitation to the gospel, the invitation to Christ, is the invitation to come and die to die to yourself. But sometimes we miss the fact that God does want us to be happy and promise us true happiness. Now, this suspicion against happiness is somewhat of a new thing in Christian circles. Um, A writer named Randy Alcorn wrote a book about happiness. And in that, he said that for the past hundred years, there was a shift in Christian writing. So the first 1,900 years of Christianity, you didn't see a suspicion of happiness. And then for the past 100 years, you've seen this shift where people started to to be suspect of happiness. And this is what we've done. We've pitted joy against happiness. And on one side, we've said, happiness is temporary, but joy is abiding. We've said happiness is external, but joy is internal. We've said happiness is a feeling, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit. 
Happiness is worldly, joy is spiritual and Christian. And some Christians have even taught that happiness is sinful. Be careful not to be too happy lest you fall into greater sin. So we've pitted these two things against one another, but the problem is it's not a biblical distinction. It's not a biblical distinction. A pastor named John Piper wrote this. He said, if you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you come to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its sense and its use of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. If you read this book, you will find that this book is a book of joy and happiness. And over and over and over, the Lord talks about how to find joy and happiness. And it sees them as good things. And the reason why is because God is a happy God. We serve a happy God. God is happy. He's full of joy. Now, the word blessed that this psalm begins with, it's used throughout the Bible If you read the Psalms, I noticed you guys were reading through the Psalms this summer. We did the same thing at Ethos. You read through the Psalms and it's easy to skip over blessed, 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 blessing, blessing. It's just easy to skip over that word. But that word actually means happy. In the Hebrew, it's this word asherah. And in Psalm 32, we see it right here at the beginning of this Psalm as David is, is praising the Lord. And there it means how happy. It's a heightened state of happiness and joy, implying a favorable circumstance and enjoyment. And if you look up definitions in English of happiness and joy, you're going to notice the same thing I did. They're very similar. There's not a distinction between those words in the Bible, in the Hebrew, or even in our own language. And we see in the New Testament, Paul describing God as the happy God as the blessed God. In in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he writes to Timothy and he says that sound doctrine is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the happy God. It's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Do you get that? God is happy. He's saying Paul is saying to Timothy, it is good news that God is gloriously happy. The God that we serve is a happy God who's full of joy. And we see it as well in Jesus Christ. We see in the beginning of his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he proclaimed the year of Jubilee, which was meant to be a year of joy. And he, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, what did he start the Sermon on the Mount with? We've, we've already sung it this morning. He said, blessed. It's that same word from Psalm 32 that we're looking at today. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, even Jesus in his ministry is talking about how to find true blessing, how to find true happiness. And Jesus was a joyful man. We see it in the Gospels. He went to parties and he ate and drank and celebrated and he told funny jokes. So much so that his critics said, that man is a drunkard and a glutton and he's a friend of sinners. They meant it as as an insult, but we see it as the Gospel, as the good news. He is a friend of sinners and he was a man of joy. We serve a happy God, a Savior 
who rejoices in rejoicing. And not only is God happy, but he wants us to be happy too. And it's because of this. Because he's a happy God, he wants to share his happiness with us. Listen to what Jesus said in in the Gospel of John. One of the last things he said to his disciples, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He's saying, all these things that I've told you, the reason why I'm telling you is because I want to share the joy that I have with you. I want you to be happy. And I want it to be full, not just partial. A theologian named Jonathan Edwards put it this way. He says, the happiness, see, he was not ashamed to use that word. The happiness Christ gives to his people is a participation in his own happiness. We serve a happy God, and he wants to share that happiness with us. In fact, he wants us to be happy so much, this is where we're going to get to our psalm today, he wants us to be happy so much, he actually commands us to be happy. He commands us to rejoice. Let's look back at verse 11. You can see it there and print it in your bulletin. It says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. See, the psalmist already told us, David's already said that God himself is shouting shouts of deliverance to us. And now he's commanding us to shout back shouts of joy and to rejoice and to be glad in the Lord. And over and over throughout the Psalms, you see that command. The command shout for joy alone is used 53 times in the Old Testament. God commands us to be happy. He commands us to shout for joy. Remember when he brought his people out of Egypt and he, he saved them from slavery and he brought them through the wilderness, he brought them into the promised land It was a land flowing with milk and honey. He didn't say, when you get there, don't enjoy the milk and honey. Um, He said, no, when you get there, be radiant. Sing and dance. Because I've turned your mourning into joy. I will comfort you and I will give you gladness for sorrow. He commanded them to rejoice. He says, because I'm a God who gives good gifts. I love to give good gifts. And I'm giving you this promised land, so rejoice in it. So if God wants us to be happy, if God himself is happy and full of joy and wants us to share in that and even commands us to be happy, then why aren't we happy? That's the big question, right? Why aren't we happy? And that gets us to point number two, why we aren't happy. So... uh, Why is happiness so elusive for us? I think David tells us here in this psalm. Let's look at verse 3 and 4, kind of moving my way backwards through the psalm. David said, For when I kept silent, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. See, this is what David is saying. He's saying that we are unhappy. We are full of sorrow. Our bones are wasting away and we're groaning when we hold on to our sin. 
Does that sound weird? What does that have to do with happiness? Here's what I think it, this, this is what I think it means. I think it means that, that we are sinners that need to be redeemed. We have a lot of needs in our lives, but our deepest need is for our souls to be redeemed, for our sins to be forgiven, to become at peace with the God who made us. That is our deepest need. And if we aren't finding our redemption in Jesus, if we aren't confessing our sins to him and hearing him pardon us, if we aren't finding redemption in Christ and the blood of Christ that saves us from sins and reconciles us to God, if we bury it, if we hold on to it and we keep our sins to ourselves, I think what we will do is we will go to everything else in this life to find redemption. We will go to everything in this life and we'll say, I'm not going to confess my sins to the Lord. I'm going to go and I'm going to deal with it myself. I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to validate myself. I'm going to justify myself. I can get happiness without God. And so we go to everything else. But it will never be enough. This is what sin tells us. Sin tells us you aren't enough. You don't have enough. You need more. Um, a scientist named... Dan Gilbert, you know, I mentioned TED Talks earlier. Well, I'm, I'm guilty of, of doing that very thing. Okay, there's a TED Talk on happiness. I want to listen to that one. Well, I listened to a TED Talk on happiness by a, name, a guy named Dan Gilbert, and this is what he said. It was called The Surprising Science of Happiness. He says, when we look to all these other things to make us happy, when we look to ambition, when we don't feel like we have enough, he says, ambition, when it's unbounded, it leads us to lie, to cheat, to steal, to hurt others, to sacrifice things of real value. Our fears, when they are unbounded and overblown, make us reckless and cowardly. And all the way back in the Old Testament, King David knew the same thing. He knew the same thing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that when we hold on to our sins, when we try to validate ourselves, when we try to find happiness in anything else, it drives us to get more and more and more and more. And that in itself, it's like our bones are wasting away within us. See, when we don't go to Christ with our sins, our soul starts to atrophy. Our soul um, is wasting away and we actually find sorrow instead of happiness. You know, whatever we pursue, money, if, if we think money is going to make us happy, we never have enough of it. If we think sex is going to make us happy, we never have enough of it. If we have, think power is going to make us happy or security, we never have enough. Those things that we go to thinking that they will make us happy, when we hold on to our sins and we look for validation in those things, they just don't deliver. They say you got to get more and more and more and more. It's like a bag of Doritos. You know, you eat that one Dorito, and it has just enough Dorito-iness to it to make you want to keep eating the whole bag, right? And you get to the bottom, and it's just crumbs, and it's still not enough. You know, money, sex, power, security, all the things we go to to try to bring us happiness, they say, you need more. I'll never be enough for you. And if you've ever seen the movie The Pursuit of Happiness then maybe you get my point. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin it for you. But years ago, I watched this movie with Will Smith, The Pursuit of Happiness. 
And it was about a man who was down on his luck. He was poor. He worked really hard. In the end, he became rich. The pursuit of happiness. And the movie was over, and I was watching it with a friend, and I was like, oh, it was a pretty good movie. And he said, really? It kind of sounded like it was saying that money equals happiness. You know, he was poor in the beginning, and he was sad. He was poor, and he was unhappy. But he worked really hard, and he lost everything he had along the way. But in the end, he became rich, and he was happy. Isn't that what our culture tells us? If you just pursue riches and wealth, you'll be happy. But the wealthy among us tell us it doesn't work that way because you never have enough. If we really want to pursue happiness, David tells us we can't hold on to our sins. We can't try to justify ourselves. We can't go looking to other idols that we think will give us happiness. We have to go to the happy God. We have to go to the source of happiness and joy if we really want to find true happiness, true blessing, true joy. We have to go to God himself. And that's point number three, how to be happy. I'm going to read verses one and two again. Blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, or happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. See, David understood what it was like to hold on to his sin. He understood what it was like to hide from God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember the story? They had everything. They walked with God and yet they sinned. They wanted more. They wanted more than what he gave them. And they sinned. They rebelled against him. And what did they do? They hid from him. They hid from God and from each other. And the whole Bible is a story of God coming and finding his people and rescuing them. See, David knew that. And yet David, he was a king and he was, he was the type of guy who got everything he wanted. And if he didn't get it, he took it. And he took another man's wife and he murdered that man and he held on to his sin. And I think this psalm is one of the psalms of praise that he sings after he confessed his sin to the Lord. See, he was a sinful, broken man who knew what it was like to hold on to his sins. He knew what it was like to hide, to have deceit in his spirit, to live outwardly one way while inwardly holding on to his sin and knowing who he really was. And that's why he can sing this song and say, happy is the one whose transgression is covered. And you know, this, I don't know if this shocks you as much as it does me. See, I grew up hearing that happy is the one who never sins. Happy is the one who has his life under control. Happiness is the one who rarely sins. Or in the one who sins in the ways that are easily hidden. But the psalmist doesn't tell us that. The psalmist, you know, David himself, he doesn't say happy is the one who rarely sins, does he? No, he says, happy is the one whose sins are covered, whose sins are hidden in Christ, the one whose sins are forgiven. That's good news for us. That is good news for sinners that know that they're broken, that know that they rebel against the God who made them. It's good news for David. It's good news for us. 
And so we too can count it joy to be forgiven. And this is the paradox of joy. This is what David is saying. When you hold on to your sins, it brings you sorrow. But when you confess your sins, it brings you happiness. Isn't that different than what everything in our culture and our nature tells us to do? See, we're told if you hide all of, the, all of your weaknesses, if you hide all of your sins, then people will love you and accept you and you'll find happiness. But David says, no, it's, it's the opposite with God. If you confess your brokenness, if you confess your sins, then God will forgive you. He will cover your sins and you will be happy. You will be blessed. You will count it joy to be reconciled with God. We've already sung the answer to this question, how do I be happy? We've said it already. Come boldly to the throne of grace. I want to look back at those lyrics again. They're so good. I hope you didn't miss them. It says to all of those who were bankrupt. Did you hear it? Poor bankrupt souls who feel and know the hell of sin within. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The Lord will take you in. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We're bankrupt. We know the hell of sin within. We know the the hell of sin without. And he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. That's the same thing that David's telling us. Come boldly to that throne of grace. With your hat in your hand, no, you come knowing that you serve a happy God who is ready to forgive you, who is eager to forgive you, who shouts deliverance over you and commands you to rejoice. So what am I saying? Am I saying that the way to be happy is to confess your sins? Is it really that simple? Well, yes and no. I think it is that simple. I think if you confess your sins, if you hear the gospel, if you remind one another of the gospel, as you guys are doing every single week here at Trinity, then you will begin to find happiness. But I think David is saying more than that here. He's saying, without being redeemed, without having your sins covered, there's no happiness because nothing in this life will actually satisfy you. Nothing can save you. You were made for God, and when he covers you, he doesn't just hand you a get-into-heaven-free pass. He actually lives life with you. That's why David is rejoicing. That's why he's singing He writes this song and he gives it to the nation of Israel and says, sing this when you gather together and worship. God wants to be with you. The happy God wants to live life with you. He forgives your sins. He speaks his truth over you. He shouts over you with deliverance. He loves you and accepts you as his child. He adopts you and makes you his own. He gives you his Holy Spirit living inside you. And David is saying that's what happiness is all about. I'm happy every time I think that my sins are not held against me. I'm happy every time I'm reminded of the gospel. I'm happy every time I hear that I can come boldly to the throne of grace because the Lord takes me in. I'm happy because I get to live life with him. See, David understands that salvation is not just a transaction. It's not just I confess, he forgives, I get my sins forgiven, now I can go on about my life. No, David knows that salvation is relational. He knows that when God forgives his sins, his relationship to God is restored. 
and he gets to share in God's happiness. And he has promised eternal happiness. Happiness that can't be taken away. Happiness that can't be shaken regardless of the circumstances. Yes, he knows that he will indeed be sad in life and grieving in life because we live in a fallen world, but he knows that there's a kingdom coming. And in that kingdom, there will be no sadness. There will be no sorrow. There will be joy and happiness as far as the curse is found. See, he knows that he is validated, he is accepted, he is loved, he is healed, he is covered because of the work of Christ. And because of that, he shares in the happiness of God. But for us Christians, how do we do it? We get to look back on the cross and see that our sins are forgiven in Christ. But how do we actually weave that happiness into our lives? I'm going to give you three tips I'm going to end with this. Uh, Three tips that I think David teaches us about happiness that will help us to cultivate happiness in our own lives. And I think it's because David understood that happiness was not just something that fell from the sky. If I can just get my life lined up, if I can do the right things, then happiness will just come to me. See, I think he knew that happiness is an act of faith. Happiness is an act of faith. We're people who live by faith, not by sight. So if we look at our lives, if we look at the world, we see lots of reasons to be unhappy. We see lots of reasons to grieve. And there are very many good times, times where, um, where grief is the godliest option for us. We should grieve the brokenness of our world. But yet we should also rejoice that Christ has not abandoned us. He's not left us alone, but he's promised to redeem this world. See, happiness is an act of faith because we have to actually, actively put on happiness. That's why he commands us, because he knows that it doesn't come naturally. We do it by faith. And see, this supernatural happiness, this this faith-filled happiness defies cynicism. It defies bitterness. It's so easy to be a cynic, isn't it? It's so easy to be a cynic. You know, my friend who's a pessimist says, I love being a pessimist because I'm either always right or pleasantly surprised. And that's easy. That you can see the world and see reasons for sadness and sorrow and pessimism. But happiness has to come by faith. Faith of saying, God has redeemed me and he is redeeming this world. So I have reason to rejoice. Secondly, I think David understood that happiness is a spiritual discipline. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's something that we have to cultivate in our lives. And as we do it, it actually can bring us closer to God. As we rejoice, when we see our kids playing in the backyard, we we don't say, well, you know, I don't want to get too happy. You know, no, you say, oh, this is such a great moment. My kids are healthy and they're happy and they're smiling and they're laughing. Thank you, God. Thank you for this gift. See how it brings us into relationship with God? If we're actually cultivating happiness and joy as a spiritual discipline, every moment of happiness, every moment of joy, we get to receive as a gift from our Father and we give thanks to God for it. So it brings us closer to God as we do it. 
as we rejoice in faith, as we preach the gospel to one another and hear that assurance of pardon, it actually brings us closer to the happy God. And thirdly, I think David understood that happiness is a fruit of the Spirit. And what I don't mean here is that happiness just drops out like as a gift from the Spirit that all of a sudden you'll just become happy and it's a gift from the Spirit. That, that does happen from time to time. But when I say fruit of the Spirit, this is what I mean. I mean that when you get close to the Spirit of God, when you draw near to God, happiness starts to rub off on you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if you want to get wet, you go stand by a waterfall and you can't help but be wet. If you want to get warm, you go stand by the fire and you can't help but be warm. It doesn't just fall down on us. No, we get warm by standing near the fire. We get wet by standing near the waterfall. And we get happiness by standing near the happy God, by drawing near to the Spirit, by worshiping Him, by praying to Him, by confessing our sins to Him, by hearing Him preach the gospel to us, by listening to His Word. When we draw near to Him, the fruits of the Spirit, we can't help but receive joy and peace and kindness because He rubs off on us. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, I hope that that you may share in my joy and have it to the full. He meant if you spend enough time with me, I start to rub off on you and you start to look and act and think and feel like I do. And so happiness is a fruit of the Spirit. So, So it works both ways. When you're happy, use that to draw near to God in thanksgiving. And when you're unhappy, draw near to Him. Ask Him to to share his joy and realize that as you do it, it comes through faith and not by sight. Some of you are parents and and you understand this um, probably a lot better than I do. I'm a new father. Um, My son is is in the nursery. He's a year old. His name's Jasper. And before I was a parent, you know, I would say things that that I didn't understand about parents. Maybe you did the same thing. Before I was a parent, I used to say, I don't understand why parents talk in this like children's voice. You know, and they do all these weird, crazy things to entertain their children. You know, before I was a father, I didn't get that. I thought, you know, if you just talk to them like adults, it'll all be fine. You know, and everybody who's a parent realizes how foolish that was. (laughs) Now that I'm a father, I realize I will say and do anything I will lose all my dignity to see my son smile, to make him happy for a moment. I say all the crazy voices, Cookie Monster, Elmo, I do it all, to make my son smile. In the gospel, we have a heavenly father who has gone to such great lengths to make us smile, to make us happy, to secure our eternal happiness. He sent his son Jesus to come and live, yes, as a man of joy, but also as a man of sorrows, smitten, afflicted, stricken, wounded. He gave up happiness on the cross for our own eternal happiness so that our joy would be full. Jesus became a man of sorrows for us, and he did it because he wants us to be happy. So with me today, be glad Rejoice in your salvation. If you don't know salvation, 
then I invite you, stop looking everywhere else and look to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you think, I've, I've said the prayer, I've lived this life, but I still don't feel happiness, then let me reassure you that God is faithful and his promises can be counted on. So look to him in faith and rejoice and be glad that your sins are covered, that you are hidden with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we draw near to you today that you will let us share in your happiness, that you will share your joy with us. Lord, we want to be happy, but we don't want it to be fake happiness. We don't want it to be temporary worldly happiness. Lord, we want it to be abiding. And Lord, we want to look at all those things that you give us in this world and actually give you thanks for them, Lord. So we give you thanks for every gift that comes from your hand. Lord, we know that every good gift comes from you, and so, Lord, we give you thanks, and, Lord, we pray that you will impress upon us today the joy of our salvation. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice in it. In the name of Jesus, amen.